So we got a question on um, the two types of extreme mentioned in the suttas. So, to if uh, if the two types of extreme can be clarified in what the middle way is, um, it seems that the middle way cannot be the way of moderation because moderation still takes part in both extremes. If one is loving or hating, the middle way cannot be a little bit of both. So, would it be correct to say that the middle way is the opposite way of whatever our present craving is? For example, when there is love, one should uh, uh, develop non-love, and when there is hate, one should develop non-hate. <clears throat> so, in Dhammachakka Sutta, the Buddha says these two domains should not be visited by one who has gone forth. The practice of central pleasure, which is inferior, vulgar, the way of ordinary man, ignoble, unbeneficial and the practice of self-mortification which is painful ignoble and unbeneficial without going to either of these domains uh, extremes the tathagata has awakened to the middle way which is for developing insight produces knowledge and leads to calming to full understanding to nibbana the two extremes <clears throat> the uh, sensual indulgence and the um, self-mortification usually Commonly, they are sort of um, watered down in the sense that uh, they're taken. They're taken to mean like these kind of obvious um, overdoing of indulging of sensual pleasures and like a obvious self-evident like a self-torture or something like that. But it's it's um, it's actually much more subtle than that in the sense that. Uh, Yes, the extreme indulgence to its in, in sensuality um, partakes in the domain of sensual pleasures, but also that domain can be very, very subtle. So even if you engage in some subtle ways um, with, with sensuality, it's still within the same domain of sensuality, which means middle way does not apply to it. Um, in the same sense, um, the self-mortification, the ascetic practice can be obviously very coarse, very very like uh, visibly ignoble but uh, that doesn't mean that it's it's it um it's confined only to those ex uh, extreme examples there can be subtle ways of uh, engaging in the same type of behavior in the in the same principle of self-mortification and then uh, it still partakes to that in, in that same domain so it's equally ignoble so in other words there is a spectrum of of from subtle to coarse and doesn't matter what uh uh, at what place in that spectrum you are, if it's towards sensuality, it's still the domain of sensual indulgence. If that spectrum is towards uh, the self-mortification, it's still within the domain of uh, self-mortification. So, middle way is neither. So, it doesn't apply to any of those. And the reason why this needs clarifying is because, uh, in sort of in, a con in contemporary notions of Buddhism, as I said, things just naturally are watered down. So then people have this view whereby, oh, as long as I don't really overdo sensuality, and as long as I don't overdo asceticism, that's the middle way. And that's exactly what this question points out. Like, if it were only moderation, means, okay, so you could still have love towards sensuality or hate towards pain and so on, uh, and then you just need to sort of be moderate in regard to two. But actually, middle way is the, the, the subtlest thing to see. It's not something you can arrive at through mere... A moderate practice uh, because if, if that were possible we wouldn't need the Buddha 
um, you know, to shake the universe when, when he discovers the middle way and so on. It would be something every other person would sort of stumble upon. Uh, middle way can only be discovered on the level of, uh, as it says here, the uh, opposite way of wherever your present craving is directing. So if your present craving is towards self-mortification and denial, then the middle way is non-craving towards self-mortification and denial. If your present way is uh, craving towards sensuality and sense gratification, the middle way is uh, non-desire towards sensuality. So that's why it's not, uh, it cannot be adhered to as a set of behavior or method, or do this and you follow the middle way. Because, as we often say, uh, where the middle way will be found depends on where your attention is currently aiming at. Your intention, sorry. So that's why knowing your intentions means knowing where things are rooted in, in your mind. Is this rooted in desire or real will or denial or any of the hindrance? Well, the middle way would be the absence of those unbeneficial states. First, you need to be sense-restrained, sure. Don't be spilling out. Then you need to know the intentions behind your actions. So if you are aiming at, um, I don't know, some 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 practice, ascetic practice, say you got inspired and you want to be um, staying awake all night and meditating every day. Uh, that in itself, it's, it's neither good nor bad. It's your motivation behind wanting to do that. So the reasons for you wanting to do such practice, that's what you would see if this is wholesome or unwholesome. And that needs to be seen because otherwise you're just um, the, the, entire, the entire project the entire um, inspiring project is rooted in an unwholesome intention. So the roots are not wholesome. They're rooted in probably a degree of uh, ill will, denial, aversion. And that's why it's taking you in that direction. That's why the Buddha would never, didn't want to prescribe the ascetic practices as mandatory practices. Because um, they don't always result in uprooting of passion in themselves, by themselves, they do not guarantee uprooting of passion and ill will. On the contrary, if they were rooted in, in wrong intentions, in intentions of conceit, intentions uh, of aversion, intentions of restlessness and impatience, uh, then they will uh, increase your passion and your aversion and your conceit and your impatience. The mind will grow if things rooted in unwholesome intentions, when they are rooted in unwholesome intentions, are not pursued, not welcomed which means uh, certain things that are kind of neutral in themselves can sometimes be rooted in unwholesome intentions, sometimes in wholesome intentions. So it's not that you must never do them or that you can always do them. So things you should never do are things that are against the precepts. That's very clear. It doesn't require any great philosophical pondering and wisdom. Uh, just requires a bit of faith and taking on those behaviors as a, as a mode of being that you train within. Uh, now, within the precepts, there will be things that are, as I said, sometimes, you know, beneficial, sometimes not. Uh, externally, they look the same, those things, but uh, internally, they are uh, completely different things because they're rooted in different type of intentions. That's why it's, it's, um, it's paramount, really, to recognize that, okay, so within the precepts, I need to um, pretty much refrain an impulse that you know, most people have, to kind of um, overly uh, clarify 
the set of behavior and methods and meditations or set of determinations in ascetic practices and instead uh, within the precepts stay on the level of that kind of ambiguity of my own intention and sometimes like this, sometimes like that because that's where the practice is and you can ask yourself which is harder um, to go along with centrality or to build up a determination and just say no to everything or is it harder to stay on the level of doubting mind that that, that tries to pressure you to act constantly uh, that uh, refuses to listen to the reason so is it harder to stay on that level and endure the mind pressuring you than to just overly determine and dismiss that whole domain and just commit to a blind practice of I'll never sleep at night or I will walk six hours a day doing walking meditation or I will never speak or I will never do this or then go the other extreme and just do you know everything completely unrestrained. So it's always that simile of the deer herd and the bait. Like um, you can eat the bait carelessly or you can completely say no to all types of food because it might contain the bait but then you'll starve or you will learn how to discern where the bait is and then just don't eat that. Um, so that's why that's why the middle way is the hardest way and that's why I've got away is the ignorable way because it will not bring understanding. Although externally, you know, some severe practices of self-mortification are far more like inspiring to the eye, like the commitment, the termination, the, the persistence and so on, the endurance. But internally, if they're completely rooted in, in your desire, conceit and power of will that refuses to basically endure things on the level of mind want, like mind intending to do things out of desire and you not giving in to that. It's easier to just cover up the desire and commit to a set of blind practice that won't make you think about it. But that, that's the point. It will have to run out. Sooner or later, that will have to run out, as the, the simile of the deer says, and then you go back eating all the food carelessly because you don't, you haven't learned where the bait is. So knowing the intentions behind your actions, behind the actions of the body, the speech, the mind, throughout the day on the basis of impeccable precepts, that will result in like sustained recollectedness, mindfulness. It will result in composure and it will result in, as I often say, enduring things on the right level. And then... If through that framework you see that increasing the certain ascetic aspects of your life, uh, introducing some asceticism into your life, uh, will actually bring this further to fulfillment, this context, this understanding, this clarity. But then it will be, again, it will be guided by the right perspective. But if you're just doing it because it kind of makes you feel good, makes you feel righteous, makes you feel inspired then it's equally ignorant as it is to engage in sensuality. If you have domain of sensuality and domain of self-mortification and denial, well, the domain of enduring your intentions without acting out of them is the domain of the middle way. And that's the domain where the hindrances are, where the pressure and pains of desire are, of ill will, of sloth and laziness, of restlessness, of worry, of doubt. And uh, that's why that's where the practice is. If you were to endure things on that level, then your mind will have to grow. Even if you never engage in you know, some extreme ascetic practices, but if you never lose the sight of the domain of your own intention, like of, of your own uh, choices you're making. And that's why, you know, I, 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 keep, I keep saying that, you know, uh, 
people's minds generally and stress that enter your mind and your life and it burdens you and overwhelms you is not the result of some metaphysical ignorance, nor is the result of you not having practiced focusing um, or noting meditation um, or watching your cessation long enough. No. Unwholesome states always, there's only one way that those unwholesome states can enter your mind and, and burden your life, and that is intentional choice towards greed or lust, towards ill will, aversion, and towards distraction and indolence. That's it. So it's not because you slipped a moment, you didn't watch your mind close enough, you weren't concentrated enough, no. It's because you still keep choosing consciously, like um, in, in full awareness, uh, although you might you know, ignore that, but every choice is something you're conscious of. And uh, the disturbances and unwholesome states can only enter through such choices and persist. Then you need to stop making such choices sustain that state of not making choices rooted in greed, aversion, delusion, and then they will cease to persist. Those unwholesome states will fade away because you're not adding more fuel to their fire. And yeah, so, so and then if, if sometimes, you know, a person think, oh, but no, I still need to concentrate in order to be able to catch those choices. Again, choices are not on the level of like a momentary flow of your consciousness and so on that you must kind of, mustn't blink because you miss your choice. No. It's, a, it's quite evident. Choice is something you intentionally intend, something you choose to make, something you choose to act out of, something you choose to welcome, accept, delight in, and so on. So it's, it's not something you can be unaware of or, it's a, or, or something that can accidentally slip you. Uh, and that's exactly why, fundamentally, a uh, path to Nibbana and enlightenment is always within your reach and within your own control in that sense. Not that you can choose Nibbana directly, but you can abstain from choices that have taken you away from that which Nibbana is, that is keeping you away from that which Nibbana is. So if those choices are abandoned and then purified, whether you want it or not, your mind is heading towards Nibbana. In terms of blanket rules and behaviors, that's the precepts, that's it. But then that's just to contain you so that you can start seeing your intention, intentions towards same things rooted in different intentions, different things rooted in the same intention, and so on. Um, so once you're contained within the precepts, your intentions have potential, basically, to become, uh, to be understood, to be seen even more clearly. Your choices, responsibility for those, and so on. So then, then the question is just um, of not falling into a trap of, or giving in to that kind of path of less resistance, which is the path of further than adopting sets of behaviors, techniques, and methods, so that you don't have to think about or endure the states of doubt of in your mind, the states of uncertainty. Was it rooted here? Was it rooted there? But it was the same thing here, but it was different intention. Well, no, it was the same intention, but it was a different thing. All that needs to be endured until the clarity is developed. And you endure that on the basis of not breaking the precepts. But that's unpleasant. That can be a pleasant. And as the Buddha said in the Sutras, how unpleasant that will be, well, depends on how much your mind was dependent on sensuality beforehand. So how much, like how many, how often the hindrances would be, 
would be pressuring you and pulling you depends on basically how often you were giving into them in the past. And uh, you, you, you can't really know that up until you're free from them. And uh, then it doesn't really matter. So the point is to endure things on that unpleasant level when it's unpleasant. It's not always going to be unpleasant. And not, not, not give in to that um, like overly defined now sets of practices and methods and sensation watching and um, noting or whatever else techniques they will then sort of make it more mechanical step-by-step practice so that you don't have to endure the unpleasant state. While at the same time, that entire commitment to that step-by-step mechanical practice, as I call it, is rooted in the intentions that you're ignoring. And so at any given time, you can pick up your practice. doesn't matter how, how much you strayed, so to speak, if you uncover the, the intentions that you are already aware, that you already know. So, and that would be the practice of the middle way. So see, you're not giving into sensuality, but you're not overly denying now either. You're enduring things. So in the simile of the deer, the smart, the wisest deer herd learn that they can't say no to all the food because they'll starve. So they learn how to endure the pressure, the pull, the, the, the enchantment of the bait and not act towards the bait so that then they can eat other food that's not the bait. But until you have endured the bait long enough, you won't see what, what's bait, what it isn't. Uh, and that's that's the whole practice. So not giving in, but not running away from it either. Not welcoming it, but not denying it. Allowing it to arise, persist and endure it.